As they are going, that they would carry Your presence and power, Jesus. So Lord, we pray that You would empower them today, God. Lord, speak to them. Lead them into Your freedom, God. Would they come to You completely unabandoned and unashamed. For You are the God who works miracles on our behalf. You are the God who stands next to us. And You fight in us and You fight through us. And You made a promise to us, God, that You would never leave us. And You sent the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, not just to advocate, but to plead on our behalf. And we praise You, Jesus. In Your name we pray. Amen. 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 Kids, you are dismissed. I trust everyone had a great time celebrating the Feast of First Fruits. The resurrection of Christ. Yes, come on. We are going to. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. You guys like the color blue or black? Should I use blue or black? Okay, we're going to start with blue. Blue. Black will be my backup. Hey, grab your Bible. We're going to continue on in our series in Nehemiah with chapter 11 and chapter 12 today. I hope you've been doing sword drills at home because we're going to jump a little bit. I want you to, uh, when you get to Nehemiah 11 and Nehemiah 12, for like three seconds, I just want you to skim over it with your eyes real quick. Just kind of skim over it, and I want you to see if you notice anything. Lots of names. On the count of three, I want you to say lots of names. One, two, three. Do you guys believe us now when we say we're not afraid to go through names? Do you believe that this is part of who we are? Great. So we may not do that today. Okay? And I want to start off explaining exactly what's going on. In Nehemiah 11. We're at a point in the story where the wall is ready to be dedicated. Do you remember the last thing that was spoken when uh, Anthony came and he preached about uh, restoring a covenant, renewing a covenant with God, and renewing a covenant comes with two things. The first one was obligation, and the second thing, separation. Okay, we'll go through it again. It's all right. Obligation and separation. Now we come to a point where they're getting ready to dedicate the wall. The wall they've spent all this time on that they've put their energy and resources into. And we started this entire series saying, at the end of the day, it wasn't really about the physical wall, right? Today we're going to see that although ultimately it wasn't about the physical wall, it was about restoring the relationships that God had with his people, that it was standing once again for righteousness. What we're going to see today is that the physical wall was also important. See, sometimes in life we can over-spiritualize things to a default, right? 
We say, well, it's not really about this. It's about, and then we'll just throw out the spiritual thing. But what we're learning, especially as we're diving deeper into the things of Israel, into Jerusalem, that it's not just a spiritual weight that has to be carried, but it's also a physical weight. So it's not about the wall completely. It's not about the physical wall completely. There's somewhere in the middle. And that's what we're going to see today. So there's a bunch of groups that are named. And I want to concentrate on two. We have the chiefs. And we have the priests. And see under here we have two leaders. And the chiefs show us this picture of government authority. These are the two authorities. We also see gatekeepers. We see outsiders. We see the Levites who are priests. Do you guys know what the difference is? All priests, I'm going to try to grab this real quick. All priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. Does that make sense? So all priests, every single priest comes from the tribe of Levi, but not all People who come from the tribe of Levi are priests. They can also be uh, tabernacle servants. They can help prepare some of the sacrifices. Uh, they help um, with administrative things for the priest. So there's a difference. But we have the chiefs who are over the government authority, um, over some of the outsiders. And we have the priests who are over the spiritual authority. And there's a word that comes up three times. When referring to the chiefs and the priests that describe the way in which they govern physically and they govern spiritually. And here's the word. Garrett, the word is valor. The word is valor. A lot of times when we think of valor, it takes on this macho bravado sense of warfare and, and, and coming together and fighting battles and having a beer stein and being out with the boys. And it's so much deeper than that. See, valor is, is made up of two things. And yes, this is going to be really small. The word is combat. We see over and over and over, a hundred times in God's word, that the word valor is connected to combat. This is how they fight. This person doesn't give up. They'd always send out the, the men of valor to go fight because they had what it took to accomplish the task that was before them. Combat. You know, we've had many conversations this week. This has been one of those weeks. And if you can resonate with this, I want you to just slip your hand in the air. Uh, this has been a week of spiritual combat. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. 
This has been a week of wanting to give up. Combat is part of it. And see, there's two perspectives when it comes to combat when we're being attacked by the enemy. You know, uh, if someone was going to come up and try to steal my wallet, right? I can see that in two ways. I can see that as, well, why are they trying to make me a victim? I, I, why is this happening to me? Is, am I in the wrong place? What did I do? Why are you trying to hurt me? I can take a victim perspective. Or I can take a victor perspective. That I know where I'm walking. I know what part of town I'm in. And I also know what God has equipped me with. When this thief tries to steal from me and take my wallet, I'm going to throw him to the ground. And see, there are two ways we can look when we face battles spiritually. Either I'm the victim, I'm just covered in all these lies, I can't believe these lies, or we can face them head on in combat. We can say, no, this is who God has made me. This is what is true. The enemy picked a bad person to mess with. And we begin to fight. We don't move from a place of victim. We move from a place of victory. Valor. It's part combat. It's part character. Your character. There's a cost that comes with being a man or a woman of valor. See, many people want to be leaders, but they're not willing to pay the cost to be a valiant leader. As your leadership responsibilities increase, your valiance needs to increase. The way you fight needs to become sharper. Your character needs to become refined. The definition of valor, there's a Hebrew word and it's chayil. I want to try to say that's kind of fun. One, two, three. Chayil. It means probably a force. Whether of men means or other resources, an army, wealth, virtue, strength. It means ability, someone who is able they have valor, a great force, that it's goods, it's a host, it's mighty, riches, strength, substance, training. Valor. Acting with great courage in the face of danger. There are three things that we're going to look at in the text today. Remember, we're looking at the chiefs and the priests. They're identified by this word, chayil, valor. It's made up of two parts, combat and character. And we're going to look at three things. First thing is valiant leaders have to pay an unmatched price. 
that there is no one among them or with them that will pay the same high price that they are willing to pay. It comes with a great cost. And we're going to go through a couple stories that help show us this cost that these leaders paid in Nehemiah chapter 11. We're going to see that they hold an unbroken line. That a valiant leader is able to hold the line when everyone else is fleeing. An unbroken line. We're going to see this. And the third thing we're going to look at is these leaders get to experience an unrivaled joy of the Lord. You ready to jump in? All right, let's go to Nehemiah 11. We're going to start out in verses 1 through 3. We're starting, remember, with the unmatched price. Here's the first price you have to pay as a valiant leader. That you are the one who is willing to live where others won't. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. While nine out of the ten remained in other towns. Okay, do you see that we have this group of leaders who said, no, I will live where most people aren't willing to live. I'm going to be the one who sacrifices my dreams, my comforts, my friends, my families, these orchards that I built up, my home, my security to come to Jerusalem and to live. See, Jerusalem at this point was only a quarter of the size it was before they were taken into exile. Imagine how that would mess with your mind as a leader. That the city that I once knew and I grew to love was like this and it was thriving. Then this happened and that's when a time when I would have wanted to live there. But then we were taken into captivity and it's shrunken. Now it's not secure. We don't have an army there. But I'm going to go anyway. I'm going to pay the price to live where I feel maybe alone, where I'm apart from my family. Because I believe in so much what the Lord has spoken. I want to ask you if God has spoken something over and into your life. Are you willing to live where others won't? Are you willing to go after what he said, no matter the cost? Because with a leader, it's usually separation that happens, but there's this emphasis on our obligation, like we were talking about last week. The reason they did this is because this is the price a valiant leader pays. 
They're willing to live where others won't. See, we're all called to live in the light. We're all called to live in community. We're all called to, whether you're a leader or not, or you're new in the Lord, we're all called to certain things. But there's a different level of sacrifice that is required of a valiant leader. Wouldn't you know that the law of the Spirit typically leads valiant leaders in different ways? If this is good for them and they have the freedom to do this, but this isn't something that I've given you. All these people, they had freedom to live where they wanted, to have their families, to have their orchards, but not for the valiant leader. They follow the law of the Spirit and they go where most people aren't willing to go. But there's a great blessing. It says in verse 2 of chapter 1, And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Do you know that there's a blessing connected to willingness? That there's a blessing connected when our hearts are willing. That's why we spend so much time when we come together to get our hearts right before the Lord. Because when we posture ourselves in that manner and we are willing to say yes to whatever it is. Whether it's to step out in faith or it's to step back in faith. That when we are willing that there is a blessing attached to it. These leaders were willing to pay the cost. Are you willing to pay the cost? When you think of a valiant leader in your life, a chief, a chief or a priest in your life, have you even stopped to think about the cost that they've had to pay? See, many people want a fruitful garden, but not many people want to turn over the soil and plant the seeds. telling you the Lord it's not gonna be everyone this isn't for everyone this message isn't for everyone we see in here in the patterns that there was a select number of people that were named as valiant leaders but the Lord is raising up valiant leaders in this house this is why it's so important. The Lord is raising a tribe, a complete tribe of valiant leaders in this house. See, we're all part of the bigger house of God. And I believe with all my heart that God's anointing on the arising church is to raise up valiant leaders. See, if you've been following the news at all, you've heard the story of AJ who was in Crystal Lake, this young child. You heard the horrific things that happened to him and where he was found. And it's hard to not feel some sort of burden or responsibility for that because God has given us spiritual authority over this area. A young man and I went out there uh, in front of the house where they were having a memorial just to pray. And we were like, God, why all these gifts, all these treasures that people were dropping off, why couldn't he have experienced these things when he was alive? That's what would have changed his life. I was talking to Elder Ben, and we see these signs that say, pray for AJ. It's too late. Now we have to pray for the AJs. We have to battle as valiant leaders on behalf of the AJs that are still out there. but it's going to take someone who has valor. Someone who's not afraid of combat. Someone who has a steady character. Is that you? 
See, there's this thing that comes with willingness, and I'm going to highlight this. We're going to go through a little quicker. But there's a thing that comes from willingness, and the Lord downloaded something that was, that was stirring me to such a great degree this, this week. And, and it helps me understand what it means to be willing in the kingdom of God. I want you just to go to Luke chapter 18. And I want to explain this in a little bit of a different way. We're going to be in verse 15. I, I'm, I'm trying to describe the willingness of the leaders that were in Jerusalem, and I think this helps. In Luke chapter 18, verse 15, it says, Now, they were bringing even infants. All right, this is talking about parents, they. We're bringing infants, babies. This is the word that's used for when John the Baptist was still in the womb. A very young little baby. That's what's going on in the physical. They're bringing these babies to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Did they rebuke the babies? No. They rebuked the parents. It was a nuisance. Wait, you want your baby to be blessed? Just please, go, go away. There's going to be a little spin that I've missed for so long. But Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Who were the children? Were they 12-year-old children or babies? Let the babies come to me. Do not hinder them. Do not hinder the parents from bringing them. For to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I said to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. For the longest time, I've seen this as we have to receive it because of the parable in, in Matthew, that we have to receive it like a child, childlike faith. But there's actually something different that's being talked about right here. It's saying in the same way you receive a baby from someone, with joy, with compassion, with willingness, that when someone hands you your baby, you're like, I'm going to protect this because it's so precious to you that I, I care about this. And, and you hold the baby and you protect the baby and it's a joy for you. He's saying you need to embrace the kingdom of God like that. That's what willingness looks like in the kingdom. No matter when our babies are disobedient, when they wake up at three in the morning crying, that we take them in our arms and we kiss them on the head and we say, you are so precious to me. This is what willingness in the kingdom looks like. So many times we receive something hard in the kingdom of God. We have to confront this person and do this. These people are offended with you, but they won't tell you. They're speaking evil against you. They're being divisive. And then you can get all upset and you can get in your head about it. But God says, receive these things. Like you're receiving a baby with joy. Because this is how the kingdom is going to advance. A willingness to take what most people won't. A willingness to hold a weight that most people won't. It's willingness. This is the first cost. Here's the second cost. And I want to highlight these so that we can... Go to Exodus 18. The 
This is the type of character we're talking about. This is the character that these leaders in Jerusalem had as they were repopulating the city. Here's weight number two. I want you to look down at verse 18. This is Jethro talking to Moses. It says, You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known, uh, the, know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. More, moreover, look for, what does your translation say? Able. Chayil. This is valiant. Same word. Look for valiant, able men from all the people. And then it describes these people. This is another characterization of someone who's valiant. They fear God. They are trustworthy. They hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands. Oh, we saw that. The chiefs are like this in Nehemiah. Of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Never a day off. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they shall decide themselves. That these valiant people that were surrounding Moses had to judge rightly always. Have you ever carried the weight of having to make a judgment on something? When two people who you love dearly bring a case before you. And they're saying, well, this is what happened, and this is what they did. And this is what happened, and this is what they did. And you feel the weight as a valiant leader of having to decide and to judge rightly. It's the mark of someone who leads in valor. You can imagine already the arguments of people, two people coming up to some of these leaders, these valiant leaders, and saying, hey, we can just bypass you. We, we're going straight to Moses with this one. This is a really big deal. This matter is a big matter. And the leader's like, no, it's not. You know, the matter is always biggest to the one who's carrying it. It's kind of like your kid is always the cutest to you. The matter is always biggest to the one carrying it. And, and these men of valor were entrusted with dealing with all these small cases and how these things usually end up when a judgment is made. Real quick, I just saw we're on the right page. John 7, 24, it says that we are to judge, but with right judgment. In 1 Corinthians 5, 12, it says we're to judge those inside the house. And in Matthew 7, 1, 5, it says we're to judge without pride. So there's the lens for how we judge. So a lot of times people are like, you're not supposed to judge. God says, don't judge. That's not true. You don't know the word of God. That's not what it says. It says that we have to judge rightly. We have to judge the right people. And we have to judge right with the right perspective, which is humility. That's how we do it. That's what we've been entrusted with. 
And you can imagine when things like this happen, right? And you have to make a judgment that someone is always going to be upset. A cost most people aren't usually willing to deal with. The fear of, of, of people being upset with you just, just drowns you. Are you that type of person? I'm telling you, God is growing us into people of valor, those who judge rightly always. And how important is it then for us as leaders to, to take inventory of our own spiritual condition? If this is what we're called to as valiant leaders, how important is it for us to get on our faces and say, God, it's unleavened bread this morning. Search me. Search me. Is there any wicked way in me? Because I have to judge rightly. I can't do this without your Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, this is a cost that most people aren't willing to pay because they're afraid of people hating them. We're going to go to the next cost. These were the, the things that, that, that these, these leaders in Nehemiah's time were paying for. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 3. Go to verse 18. We're going to read about the Transjordanian tribes. They were the last to rest. It's interesting. They were the last to rest. I'm going to add this word too. They were the last to rest and enjoy. They were the first to inherit, inherit right? They knew what land was theirs. They already had it. But they were the last ones to rest. There's, there's a, a leadership guy uh, who has a book out. It's called uh, Leaders Eat Last. And this is the principle. I used to work at a company that practiced this all the time. That the owner of the company, that all the managers, not out of obligation, but out, in a sense of, of pride and service, that they would always, whenever we'd have a party, whenever lunch would be catered, and they would always eat last. They would always eat last. They would plan the party. They knew what food was coming. They knew all about the inheritance. They saw it come in. They even paid for it. But they were the last to rest and to enjoy it. That's what we see going on right now in Deuteronomy chapter 3. It says in verse 18, And I command you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All your men of valor shall cross over armed before your brothers. The people of Israel. Don't you know that also being a part of valor is you're the last to rest and you're the first one to go into war. It says in verse 19, only cross only your wives, your little children, and your livestock. I know that you have very much livestock shall remain in the cities that I have given you. Remember, this is sacrifice from the beginning. They're going where places places where people aren't willing to go. But I have all this livestock. I have all this, my kids, my children. Valiant leader, move out. Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers. It says once this happens, once your brothers receive rest, then you can go. I want to ask you, is rest everything to you? You're just waiting for the next time you can physically rest? I've been guilty many times. 
during many days. God, I'm exhausted. I'm drained. We just fought this battle. We got, we got our inheritance. We see it. Grab your weapons. We're going back out. Why? Why do we have to go out again, God? Because your brothers need you to. Because you're a valiant leader. Because this is the weight that you carry. Are you willing to be someone who is the last one to rest and to enjoy what you've already inherited? Do you always need to be first? I'm telling you, the Lord is raising up a group of people in this church who are identified by our valor. I want to go next. So this is one of the costs that we see of being a valiant leader. Go to 2 Chronicles 26. In 26, verses 12, we read about a guy, his name is Uzziah. This is, this is how we're wrapping our mind about what valor is. Costs associated with being valiant. And Uzziah, if you, did, if you don't know about him, he was a king and he was, he was a warlord. He defeated Philistines and, and he fought and he invented, he had, he had these catapults and these weapons. And people were falling before him. It says in verse 16 of chapter 26, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord. And he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So think about this. He's strong. He's proud in his own eyes. And he's saying, I, I don't need a priest to do this for me. I can do this myself. Look at the favor that's on my life. Foolish. But Azariah, the priest, went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. 80 priests step up. Valiant men. And they go in after this warlord king. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated. We know what happens after that. He breaks out on his forehead with leprosy and they rush him out. The mark of a valiant leader, a weight that has to be paid, is someone who is willing to confront and correct corrupt kings. Are you willing to say the hard thing, but as First Peter tells us to do, to have an answer and to do so with gentleness? And respect. Are you willing to be clear and to say the hard thing, no matter how powerful the person may present themselves? That you know when you begin to correct that it's, it's going to be an immediate war. Are you willing to live and to go where most people aren't? It's easy to be friends with everyone and tell everyone what they want to hear. 
That's not the mark of a valiant leader. A valiant leader has no fear in confronting and correcting corrupt kings. This is what is wrong. This is God's mercy for you if you turn right now. But I'm standing on this. I don't care how you react. I don't care how angry you get. This correction needs to happen. Have you ever fought when someone has corrected you in the midst of your corruption? That you viewed yourself as a king. That you were strong, you were powerful. But you had this corruption stirring all around you. And someone came in to correct you. How have you responded in that? Valiant leaders confront corrupt kings. What else? What else is this weight of being valiant? Man, this seems, this seems hard. Let's go to Joshua 7. In Joshua chapter 7, we're actually going to start in, in chapter 8. But in Joshua chapter 7, we see this, this unfolding of, of conquering and coming into the promised land. And there's this battle that happens. It's the battle of AI and people are fighting. And guess what? Does Israel win or do they lose? They lose. Devastating. God, I thought you had this promise for us. God, I thought you were going to send us, send us out. I thought we were going to have all this and it was going to be easy. They lose. Why do they lose? Because there's some sin in the camp. So we see this defeat at Ai after this giant victory of God, having them cross the Red Sea and sustain them through the wilderness. And then we have this Ai incident. We have this Achan sin incident. Defeat. It's easy to settle in a place of defeat. To take a break. To take a breather. To not want to move forward. It's easy to settle and to stay in a place of defeat. Many people do. That's not the call of a valiant leader. Look at chapter 8, verse 3. It says, so Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor. But they're already defeated. We, we're already defeated. Guess what? One of the weights men and women of valor carry. They're always the first ones up. Man, that defeat was hard. That really hurts. I'm still hurt and I'm in pain. But guess what? I'm valiant. So God says to, for me to get up and I'm going to be the first one up. Do you know when Walter Payton played football for you Chicago Bears fans, that when he would get hit and he would get knocked out, he made it a point to be up before the person who tackled him. We need to restore that kind of tenacity to the house of God. Yeah, I know we've been hurt. I know we've been crushed financially and with sin and with the enemy coming against our camp, but I'm going to be the first one to pop up and to lead the charge. That is the mark of a valiant leader. It says in verse 4, And he commanded them, 
I just want you to put the word command in the back of your mind. Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go. Oh, excuse me. Back up. 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. He sent them out by night. See, valiant leaders fight when most people are still asleep. They're the first ones up. We see a picture of Jesus doing this in the garden when he's fighting and he's warring, not on his own behalf, but on behalf of the people of God. Same picture here. He's warring on behalf of the entire world. And what is his disciples doing? They're asleep. In the same way, these men of valor went out at night. Verse 5, And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and when they come out against it, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they had this entire plan. At the end, in verse 8, it says, And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. See, sometimes people think that to have valor means that you're just like a, a wild animal that you can do whatever you want. No, there's a submission process here. The valiant leaders, not only are they fighting when others are asleep, but valiant leaders respond to leadership. They submit themselves to leadership. This is meekness. This is power under control. Jesus did this. We see it in, in John chapter 12 and John chapter 15, where he's constantly talking about that he submits himself to the leading of his father. Jesus, the greatest valiant leader of all time, models this for us as well. The first one up. While most are sleeping in submission. Here's the next one. Go to Judges 11. We're going to see a, a story about a guy. This is the last weight we're going to look at of, of being valiant. Of someone who's called valiant. And did you know as a valiant leader that you are going to be rejected for your defects and harvested for your strengths? That people are going to reject you for any defect they can find in you. They're too controlling. They're too uh, passionate. They're too uh, lazy. They don't spend enough time here. Defect, defect, defect. Although they may be true, you can expect rejection to come with it. Not encouragement. Not to be admonished. Rejection. And not only that, if that wasn't bad enough, do you know, valiant leader, that people are going to reject you for your any defects, for your weaknesses, but they are going to still harvest you for your strength. You're this, you're this, you're this, you're this, but hey, I need you right now, so use all of those things to help me. It's part of the call. It's part of the cost. We see that with Jephthah. Look at chapter 11. 
Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty, same word, valiant warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Everyone say defect. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when the wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out. And he said, you shall not have an inheritance in your father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went on out, out after him. So we have this mighty warrior who was used to being uh, the, the man who would run in, who would rush in. He wasn't afraid of combat, but he had a defect that he was the son of a prostitute. You think that would reflect more on his dad than on him? Funny, that's, that's the way people like to pick out defects. And they cast him out. So this valiant warrior is not only not surrounded by people anymore, but he is alone with worthless fellows. The word is empty vessels. He's rejected for this defect in him. Surrounded, he's alone, but then he's surrounded by worthless fellows. But hey... I know you got this whole thing going on, Jephthah, and there's this defect, and we've rejected you, but now we need you. Now we need you. Look at verse 4. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. Hey, I know this thing happened, but please, we want you now. But Jephthah said to the elders, Did you not hate me and drive me out from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Amorites, Ammonites. Now, now we need you with us. We need you with us. I know you had this, but, but now we need this. Valiant leaders in the room, this is part of the cost of valiance. We can see, bringing it to, back to Nehemiah, that the leaders who were willing to go and to live where others weren't paid a heavy price for that. Their character was refined from all these things, from the willingness to live where others wouldn't, from judging rightly, from being the last to rest, to confront corrupt kings, being the first up, being rejected. They were willing to pay the cost. They paid the cost. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 12. So remember, we just went through that these leaders, these valiant leaders, paid an unmatched price. Now we're going to talk about the unbroken line. Chapter 12, verse 1, says, These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel. And it starts listing all these names. At the end in verse 26, skim there. 
It says, these were in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, son of Jazadak, in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest, and the scribe. Okay, so what's going on there? Why, why are all these things being named? He's saying, from the beginning, when this whole process started with Zerubbabel, all the way through Ezra, all the way until Nehemiah, that these priests have remained. That they have held the line. Their valiance has been unbroken. That they've stayed, they've endured. When most people were giving up, not wanting to work, that they held the line and they did what God called them to do. Not only were these priests willing to pay an unmatched cost, but they held an unbroken line. This is the mark of someone who is a valiant leader. They're not willing to bend on the line that God has drawn for them. Not only that, but they are raising up others to follow in the same suit. So when the inheritance and the dedication of the wall comes, that the same valiant leader that started is going to be finished with a different valiant leader. That this is passed on. It's just passed down that it becomes this lifestyle that in the hope is that uh, valiance and priest would be synonymous and they would flow together. We see this surrounding valiance. Go to 2 Samuel 23. We're almost done. Then verse 20. It says, And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kebzeel, a doer of great deeds. Right? Then it goes in to talk about all the combat that he was a part of. In the Hebrew, it reads a little differently, and it's a little harder to pick up, but there's this word, and the word is ben Chayil. So it says, And Benaiah, ben Jehoiada, was... That's crossed out in Hebrew, and it says, Ben Chahil. So what he's saying is, we have Benaiah, who was the son of Jehoiada, who was the son of a valiant man. Do you see how there's a line? Why was Benaiah valiant? Because he learned it from his father. Why was Benaiah's father valiant? Because he learned it from his father. And it is an unbroken line. If you ever remember when you were in grade school and you'd play the game Red Rover. And there was nothing like the satisfaction of standing in a line and calling out the biggest one they had. And that big old kid running and being clotheslined <laughs> by their Red Rover hands that wouldn't let go. It was so satisfying. Why? Because the line was unbroken. Because strength prevailed. 
That's what Nehemiah chapter 12 is talking about. In the same way, Benaiah came from this line. And because of that, he was able to do all these great things. He killed a lion in a pit. He killed two lion-like men. He kills an Egyptian that they feel the need to mention is handsome. And it's a funny story. He like takes the spear from him. How humiliating, right? This is what valiant people do. He takes the spear, the guy's spear, and turns on him and kills him with it. That's what you call a boss right there. He's valiant. It's an unbroken line. If you are a valiant leader here today, do you raise up other valiant leaders? Are you looking to preserve the line, not for yourself, but for the house of God? Saints, this is what we need. We need discipleship to continue in this house. We need spiritual sons and daughters to, to look for parents and to ask God, would you give me a spiritual parent in this place? Spiritual parents, we need you to go on your knees and be calling out, God, who would you have me raise as my son and my daughter in the faith? That this line of valor would be unbroken that the priesthood would be unbroken, that your kingdom could be advanced and it would be repopulated, God. That's what's being communicated in Nehemiah chapter 12. Not only is it an unbroken line, but remember, to experience unrivaled joy. Does anyone in this room need a baptism of joy? We're going to pray for that at the end. I just feel like we want to pray for that. Is Adam or Austin, is anyone here right now? Any worshiper, why don't you just come up? I just feel like we need to pray for that. Unrivaled joy. Look at Nehemiah. Chapter 12. The dedication of the wall. Okay, now we're in verse 27. The dedication of the wall is getting ready to take place. And there are these two choirs that are formed. Ezra, he takes the choir to the south of the city. Nehemiah takes the choir to the north of the city. And they begin to praise God. And this is what begins to manifest. Look at verse 43. Every time I say the word rejoice, I want you to cheer. Rejoice to joy. Ready? I know this has been a little heavy, so I want you to get, get out of that. Okay? And every time we see the word rejoice or joy, we're going to cheer. Verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice. With great joy. The woman and the children also rejoiced. And the joy yeah. of Jerusalem was heard far away. Is the joy that you have heard far away in your life? Does the joy that comes from you, is it heard far away? Not because of just the volume, but because of the frequency. Do you get loud frequently? That's what the people are surrounded in right now. That's what they're getting baptized in right now. That there's joy just surrounding them. 
They're being immersed in it like a water baptism. Joy is coming down and God is stirring joy in their heart. Look what it says about the priest in, in verse 44. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priest and for the Levites according to the field of the towns. Remember the priests, these valiant leaders, they receive a special gift right here. This is what it says. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. These guys who paid an unmatched price to be there, to leave everything, to live there. Who had not only had to go into combat, but had to have character things dealt with. These valiant leaders who paid the price over and over and over. Who held an unbroken line. At the end, they receive this unrivaled joy, and the joy is just being poured out over them. This is the last verse I want to go to. Go to 1 Samuel 10, 26. Why don't you stand with me with your Bible in your hand once you get there. First Samuel 10:26 says this. This is when Saul was anointed king. It says, Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor, whose hearts God had touched. Is there anything more we could ask for than to being touched, having our heart touched by the very hand of God? See, just like these men, when we follow the king, we will be touched by God. I want to pray for us that in this season, that valiant leaders would rise up. That we would pay an unmatched price and we would do it together like the 80 priests who went into corrupt who went in to confront the corrupt king, would go in and we would do this together. My prayer is that we would stand on an unbroken line of people who said, yes, I paid the cost to be valiant. That I fought in combat and I've had my character refined. But not only that, I want us to be baptized in an unrivaled joy because God has touched our heart. If you've been feeling the stress of being a valiant leader because of the price that you've paid, because of the stress that it takes to, to keep and to hang on to an unbroken line, and you say, God, I need an unrivaled joy. I just want you to come forward right now. Come on. 
Come on, there are many. Don't be ashamed. Come forward right now. We're going to ask for a baptism with joy. Come forward right now. People who are back in your seats, just begin to come up and just put your hands over these people. If you need a baptism of joy, I just want you to stretch out your arms. I want to read this scripture over you. In Zephaniah 3.14, it says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart. Oh, daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save he, it says, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So God, we pray right now for a fresh baptism of joy. That your spirit who brings joy in and out of us would begin to well up. That an unshakable, that an unrivaled joy would begin to be had in this place, God. Lord, set us free so we can experience your joy. Just like we read about in Nehemiah chapter 8, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Make us strong as valiant leaders, God. Not with joy that fails, God, but with joy that comes from you. Baptize us now, Jesus. Fill us with joy. Anxiety leave, fear leave in Jesus' name, for God is in our midst.